Pastor Xavier Reese says, make no mistake, if you play, you're going to pay. It is amazing how long Christians can live in deception about themselves and their lifestyle when they refuse to turn from what they know is wrong. The deception is in thinking that God honors it due to the fact that he does not take immediate corrective measures. Listen, God does not settle all of his accounts in one day, but one day he will settle all of his accounts. He will get to you. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Compromise always seems like a good idea at the time, but far too often it brings painful consequences that linger on well after all is said and done. And this is the simple truth that David on the run from the pursuing Saul suddenly realized while hiding out in the camp of his enemies of all places. And today, Pastor Xavier provides this reminder that although you can fool some of the people some of the time, God is never fooled any time. Let's listen. David, this is part four. For our third study of David, we looked at him as the man in exile and the events of instruction during David's exile. That covered the section of scripture from his flight to Nob till the second time he spared Saul's life, from chapter 21 to chapter 26 of 1 Samuel. Now, for our fourth study, we want to continue looking at David, the man in exile, but this time focusing on the events of compromise, which reveals three things, and it will cover chapter 27 to 31. First, David's compromise was due to leaning to his own understanding. Secondly, David's compromise backfired on him. And then thirdly, David's compromise chastened him. Now this covers the period from the cave of Abdullam till just before the battle which took Saul's life. Let's begin with the first. David's compromise was due to leaning to his own understanding. Brings us to chapter 27. Notice first of all in 27 verse 1 through 4. David took into his own hands to seek out protection for himself with the enemy, King Achish of Gath. Now David said in his heart, Now I shall perish some day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. And so David arose. He went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And so David dwelt in Achish and Gath, he and his men, each man with his household. And David and his two wives, Naomi, Ahinoam, the Jezalitis, and Abigail, the Carmelitis. Abigail's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Now notice first that there is no mention that God directed David. That's important, okay? Notice secondly also that there is only evidence that David came to this conclusion based on his own reasoning that he would perish one day at the hand of Saul. Now it's important for us to always remember what God has told us, what God has affirmed in our life, because there are many situations in life, they're going to come into our life, they're going to look like we're going to perish. 
They're going to look so threatening. And I have to remember God's promises. You remember that his good friend Jonathan come out and encouraged him. He said, surely you're not going to die. You're going to be the next king. Now here comes another storm. When the storms come, you and I need to remember God's word. So that we don't get blown away and moved by our own reasoning, by our own emotions. Remember, this was the second time he had spared Saul. Now, notice that the army of David was 600 men. Their families, as well as his two wives. David was dwelling in the enemy's camp. It is never wise to dwell in the enemy's camp. You remember Peter. From afar off, then he was warming himself and he got in trouble. David was jeopardizing not only his own life, but the lives of those men and the families that were following him. As a leader, one has greater responsibility because people follow you. And when people follow you, you better know where you're going. And you better make sure you're following the Lord. Because people do follow, people do trust. He doesn't call us sheep for nothing. I mean, the illustration can't be more clear and more insulting to an extent, but very truthful. We all like to think that we're leaders, but we're not. <laughs> Even those who are called to lead, they're still sheep. They're called to follow the Lord. The plan worked, so it seemed. And there are a lot of devices that I can do in my own life that will work for a time. And I go, man, I did good. Oh, but hang on. Let's see how long it holds. I have found that every time I lean to my own understanding, I get myself more in trouble than I was before I acted. And whenever I feel that I've gotten a hold on it and that I've brought the solution, it's usually just a setup for my fall and to complicate the problem even more. Now notice secondly from verse 5 to 7, David deceived Achish, leading him to believe that he had deserted Israel and joined forces with the Philistines. In verse 5, David acted in false humility and asked, for a city apart rather than dwelling in the royal city. He says, if I have now find favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country, something insignificant, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city of hell? David, you hypocrite, you deceiver. <laughs> Verse 6, David was given Ziklag, which belonged to the kings of Judah. It's kind of ironic. <laughs> He's given his own city. David spent one year, verse 7 says, and four months in exile in the enemy's camp. That's a heck of a long time. It is amazing how long Christians can live in deception about themselves and their lifestyle and not turning from it. Now later on we'll learn in the life of David that he lived one year in a sinful state with Bathsheba. Before repenting till Nathan was sent to him and he pointed his prophetic bony finger and said, you're the man. And I'm always amazed when I talk to Christians who have deceived themselves for whatever length of time and they refuse to turn from what they know is wrong. The deception is in thinking that God honors it due to the fact that he does not take immediate corrective measures. And so the rationale is as follows. Well, he really didn't like it. He would have done something about it. Oh, no, no, no. Listen, God does not settle all of his accounts in one day. But one day he will settle all of his accounts. Be patient. He will get to you. He's in no hurry. Worse yet, being deceived due to the fact that God seemingly has allowed you to get away with it. Ooh, that's even worse. If you ever think that you've gotten away with anything, you are truly deceived. Nobody 
gets away with anything at all. If you can get away with anything in this world and you're never found out, you will face God. I will face God. So really, what do you get away with? Absolutely nothing. Now, I'm sure that my kids were involved in things that I don't know about when they were out there in school. But they have the responsibility to God. I'm responsible when I'm at home and what I know about. But they ultimately have to give an account to God. But God's always looking. Notice 30. Verse 8 on down to 12. David was going out on kill and destroy missions. In verse 8, David was destroying the enemy in the land. The Gizrites, the Amalekites. The distance was as far as Egypt. And then in verse 9, David killed everyone to make sure no one escaped and told King Achish. Well, he seems to have it all wired, doesn't he? There are some people in life that seem to have it all wired. You know, they've got this worked out and they've got their bases covered. And boy, they, they seem to go on. And boy, it seems like they're just, boy, making in every direction, every little turn. They've got it wired. There are people in leadership positions who go out of their way to destroy the lives of individuals. Without any conviction. This has always happened. Paul warns us about him. Jesus warns us about him. Peter tells us about him. We, I'm sure, have crossed some of their paths in our own life. Where we walk with God for any length of time. These individuals love the sense of power they have over people. And the ability to manipulate and have their way. Maybe bosses and they're not very upright. And they take that position of power to just manipulate and to use and to control people. Because they love that power. In verse 10 through 12, David lied to Achish constantly. And when asked where he had been, in verse 10, he told the king that his raid was against Judah, the great-grandson of Judah, and the tribe from which his father-in-law Moses was, the Kenites, which lived in the area between southern Palestine and the mountains of Sinai. Notice in verse 11, he slew all the inhabitants, and so was David's conduct for a year and four months in the country of the Philistines. This is the way he lived. In verses 10 through 12, he led the king to believe that he had truly deserted Israel and caused them to abhor him. Therefore, David would be his servant forever. You see, one of the things that's the most treacherous is when we let somebody believe or we lead someone on to believe something as being genuine when it really isn't. And we allow them to take us into their affection, to their heart, to their trust. And then when they are the closest, we betray. That's why it's called treachery. When someone who's a complete stranger robs you or deceives you or rips you off, you get mad, but you get over it because, you know, he's no one close to you. When someone who's close to you does something like that, it tears you up because you open yourself up. David is doing this. Notice, fourthly, when we get to chapter 28, verse 1 and 2. David was asked to go into battle against Israel with King Achish. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you surely know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. And so David said to Achish, surely you know 
what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Now, there's been a bond here. There's been a, a relationship. There's been an entrustment, a confidence going on. This man's asking this, this man, David, to go into battle. You know, we went to war. I mean, you're trusting this guy to cover your back. You're entrusting your life to him. This is how close he had gotten to him. While all along being hypocritical, lying, deceiving. David accepted the invitation in verse 1. Now this was the battle that Saul and Jonathan would die in. This was a battle that if he went into it, though he would plan to turn on the Philistines in his mind, the Israelites would have orders from Saul to kill David. How are you going to pull it off, David? You see, your own devices start entrapping you sooner or later. You run into dead ends. And once in a while you say, oh, I, just, I got a good. You know, and you just kind of get out. But you come up against more. The longer you run alone, the more narrow the road gets. You see, he would be an enemy to both sides in the battle. Now, this was the doing of David, not God. And many times what happens in our life is our own doing and not God's. How often a child of God will put himself in a compromising situation that commits him or her to more danger and evil by natural progression, adding to their own hurt. One step at a time. Notice in verse 2, David was made one of the king's chief guardians forever. David declared to the king that he knew of his ability in warfare. <laughs> and David deceived the king again and was made his chief guardian. You can't get any closer. David's compromise was due to leaning to his own understanding. This is a picture of you and me if we walk in the flesh. The potential is there. Don't ever think yourself beyond it. The scriptures tell us, as Paul tells the Corinthians, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Whatever a man sows to that, he's going to reap to. God will not be mocked. Now notice, secondly, David's compromise backfired on him. When we get to chapter 29, verse 1 through 11, David was rejected by the Philistines. In verse 1 and 3, first of all, the princes of the Philistines objected to David joining them in battle. The Wakish vowed for him as having no fault since his defection. He says, Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Epic, and the Israelites encamped by the fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review of the hundreds and thousands, but David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. Then the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days and these years? And so, this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. The event took place as the armies of the Philistines gathered together and as they passed in formation before the princes of the Philistines. And here, David, I pulled it off. I'm going to ride in there, man. I'm going to just ride in the midst of it. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to destroy them. And, and then I can show all of Israel that God's with me. Then I can kill two birds with one stone. The enemy and Saul can be put aside. Now, he has spared Saul twice, but his plan is still to go in there. 
What would have they have done if they wouldn't have objected? He would have been in a more precarious situation. Notice the prince of the Philistines saw David and his men and they asked, What are these Hebrews doing here? And rightly so. Yet Achish responded in favor of David. He had found no fault in him. See, David had taken in the king. David needed some commendation. Some, uh, someone with power to back him up. Now notice in verse 4 and 5. But the prince of the Philistines were angry with him. So the prince of the Philistines told him, Make this fellow return, that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him, and do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to this master, if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David of whom they sang to one another and danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands? So notice, first they fear lest David turn on them and become their adversary in battle. They're pretty smart. You see, it's easy for someone who's, who's not so close to the situation to stand and say, Listen, what are you doing? Someone says, What are you doing with that guy? You know he's not a Christian. What are you doing with that girl? You know she's not a Christian. What are you doing? But the person's so close, he goes, Well, I love him, you know. You're all wrapped up, your tail's wagging, your tongue's hanging out. You're too close to the situation, you're involved emotionally. You've been blinded. You see, they knew the price to be reconciled to Saul would be the very heads of the Philistines. They knew and feared David's ability in battle. As they recalled the song, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. They knew he was dangerous. They could see clearly. Now notice thirdly, verses 6 through 11. The king called David and with much grief denied his going out to battle with them. Verses 6 and 7. David was told by the king that he had found no fault in him. But the lords of the Philistines did not favor him. Therefore, he was to return in peace so as not to displease the Philistine lords. You see, David had gained the king's confidence so much and extent that he is literally apologizing here in an embarrassed manner to David. Notice that. He called David and he's almost appalled. I have not found evil in, your, in you since the day you coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. You can almost hear his words. And so David asks to not submit in order to maintain harmony and peace. It would be wrong. The king knew it. And so he asked David to do submit. In order to maintain that harmony and that peace with the lords. But you can sense that he's, he's hurt. Now he's being betrayed. He doesn't know it. Notice in verse 8. David went on to put on. A feigned emotional display of hurt and disappointment. Arguing that he was blameless before him. But what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you? That I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the King. His disappointment is marked by the expression, but what have I done? 
His petition for proof of his disloyalty is marked by the expression, To this day, what have you found in your servant? His plea was to fight against the enemies of Achish. Who were they? He's implying Israel. He's still sucking them in. He's still bringing them in. This is one of the most treacherous dealings of David's life. For David allowed Achish to trust, impart affection, and become close to David while all along knowing that he was going to turn on him as Judas to Jesus. You see, we, we must learn from not only the positive character of David, but from the negative qualities of him. Uh, we would be foolish to close our eyes to the things that are evil in the lives of God's people. God paints his saints warts and all. You know, God's not like us. We go take our senior picture and they put a cheesecloth over it, you know. I say, man, I used to look good. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> God allows everything to be revealed. In verses 9 through 11, David hears the king's acknowledgement of his innocence. Nevertheless, he asks him to depart. In verse 9, he declares David to be as an angel from God. Man. In verse 9, also, he declared the final decision of the Philistines that he would not go up to battle. And in verse 10, he dismissed him by the next morning. But he has still left Achish with the sense that he's true. Notice in verse 11, So David and his men rose early and departed in the morning and returned to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. David's purposes were thwarted. And they did not work out as he planned, verse 11 tells us. God in his own sovereign wisdom at times reproves us by not allowing our own plans or devices to work out as we plan. God then at the same time turns them for our chastening, for our future protection. He's all wise. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the very motive of my heart that I don't even know. I am positive that I am sincere. And then he lets me run through time and shows me the ugliness of my heart. So time is good. Time is a test of all things. David's compromise backfired on him. Didn't work out the way he thought. On the positive side, there are many things in our life that will not work out the way we expect them. The way we think they will. The way we hope they will. Because God knows what's best. David wanted to build God a house. God says, you can't build me a house. You're a man of blood. You're a man of violence. Rather than being crushed, David sat in awe and says, Lord, who am I that I should build you a house? Who am I that you've chosen me to have an heir forever? And rather than to pout and complain, he began to store the goods. God gave him the plans. What have you never accomplished or obtained what you are looking for, what you are shooting for, what you think should happen. And God diverts your life. Will you live it up bitterly? Or will you say, who am I, Lord, that you should redirect my life and show me some new things? There's only two potentials in life. You'll either become better or you'll become bitter. One of the two. It's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? Pastor Xavier Reese.
using the example of David to remind us that God's purposes are often his means of saving us from ourselves. And you can hear this message again anytime online by simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com. Now, we've been listening to another provocative message in our character study simply titled David Part 4. And there's much more to come next time. But if you'd like to receive a copy for more in-depth personal study at your own pace, we can provide that on CD for just $4 to help cover the costs. The title, once again, is David Part 4. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please help us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. Pastor Xavier says it's wise to seek good advice, and wiser still to heed it. More simple truths we'll learn from our study of the life and times of David right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com